This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am great. How are you? I am doing really well. You sent me a text this morning that really started off my day. Well, it was already several hours into the day, but really turned it around for me. How about that? We're going to have the 30s and 40s this next weekend, and I'm so excited about the change in weather. It's December, and we've been in shorts and sweaty. My daughter was literally playing beach volleyball last night, and it was sweaty outside. And I know some people probably are like, yeah, but you live in Florida, and that's the beauty of living in Florida. And that is actually why a lot of people uh, moved to Florida, so that they they have this type of weather in December. But yeah, honestly, after living in Florida my entire life, I do get – I do miss the cold. I miss having, um, especially in the winter and around the holidays, because it just exactly. doesn't feel. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't feel like the holidays to me, unless it's at least a little cooler. And uh, I know people that are in like Australia and the other side of the world, they're like, what are you talking about? It's always like summertime for them at Christmas. So it's always hot. But it is so nice that we're getting a little a little taste of winter right in time for Christmas, really. Uh, it's going to be gone. It'll be back in the 90s because <laughs> it's like a week away after that. I was like, oh, the bummer. But it's still, I'm here for it. I'm very excited. I will pull out all my sweatshirts that I'm wearing already because I still am a fool and dress like this even when it's warm. But Oh, it'll be so nice for it to be necessary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it'll be so nice. And Mandy, we've had such a wonderful reception to um, the name change. We had one kind of, uh, you know, you're always going to hear some stuff. Yes. Um, but yes. And that's okay. And change is hard. We get that. We've had a little bit more time to digest it than other people. But we're very thankful for the people that have reached out and said they are excited about the small change to Moms and Mysteries. And that begins January 1st. And uh, that's like yeah. for like legal and accounting reasons. It just makes it <laughs> – it's a, it's official then. But we appreciate yeah. you guys supporting Moms and Murder and hope you continue to support Moms and Mysteries, which is literally just Moms and Murder with mysteries instead. That's it. For sure. Yeah. And so for those of you who might be are like, what just happened? Oh, what sorry. are you talking about? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, maybe you didn't listen to the episode last you? week. Yeah. Or maybe you just missed it. Um, so what Melissa is talking about is that um, we are going to be just glowing up. We're, gl- we're glowing That's up. That's what you said. And That's I love I it so much. Yes. We are changing only the name of the podcast to Moms and Mysteries. Everything else is going to remain the same. There is no cause for alarm. As Melissa said, we've gotten mostly positive feedback, but there have been a couple of people, I think, you know, they're having a little rough time with it. And I understand. It's growing you get, pains. Yes, it is. It's growing pains. You get used to um, us and the name of the show, but we're still here. We are still here 
and we're still going to have the same type of content. So um, yeah, there's really nothing to be concerned about. Even as we said before, the new logo, we've already had, it's already been made. We've already seen it side by side next to the old logo. You really don't even tell that much of a difference, no. guys, honestly. Uh, and even as the two of us, you know, knowing this old logo for years and years, and, and now we see the new one, I'm like, you know, I really don't even tell the difference. So uh, it's really nothing to be – don't be upset. I don't want anyone to be upset about the name change. No. It's really – it's a good thing. I promise. <laughs> well, thank you for being a Melissa translator. That really helped. I forgot that maybe not everyone's listened to every word we've ever said, but that's what's going on. And um, looking forward to the new year. We are going to have two weeks off. We will still be playing – episodes during that time they some just of our old have favorites little, some of our classic classic moms and murder episodes the next two weeks so and then we will be back with brand new content on january the third same place same time same us that part i'm sorry about but that part we cannot <laughs> change <laughs> all right melissa so we have quite a story to get into this yes. week Yes, this is a story that I think there will be uh, many people who are already familiar with this story. However, I encourage you not to shut this off just because of that, because uh, I think Melissa and I both agreed that after learning more about this very, very infamous story, uh, we may have changed our opinions from what we previously thought. So stick around, listen to the whole story, and then let us know your thoughts. We would definitely like to hear what you guys think um, about this story. So in a perfect world... Everybody would grow up in a loving home with every one of their needs being met, and then they would go out into the world, and if they wanted to, they would meet their perfect partner and go on to live a happy and fulfilling life together in love. That really is the classic and stereotypical fairy tale, right? Even for those of us who don't have the desire to link up with another human being for life, feeling safe, happy, and loved is something that we all deserve. Unfortunately, our world is far from perfect, and too many of us know all too well that life is often nothing like the fairy tales. Even worse is the tragedy of a child being born into a hostile environment that they never asked to be a part of, and the cycle of abuse continues. While it's true that not every person who suffered abuse as a child will go on to be an abuser, studies do show that one-third of abused and neglected children will go on to later abuse their own kids. And on the flip side of that, a study from the UK suggests that as many as 51% of adults who were abused as children will continue to experience domestic abuse later in life. So no matter how you slice it, the cycle of abuse is a vicious one that has proven very difficult to break without intense support and guidance from professionals. Sally McNeil was one of the unfortunate ones whose life got off to a rough start from the very beginning. Sally was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania in late May of 1960. Her biological father was extremely abusive towards her mother, and Sally was the victim of a very violent upbringing. Eventually, Sally's parents split up, and her mother later remarried and had two more children. But this wasn't a happy family situation either. Sally suffered abuse at the hands of her stepfather, who disliked her simply because she wasn't his biological child. So desperate for approval, Sally turned to athletics to really prove herself worthy. And she was a very good athlete who always wanted to improve her performance. After graduating from high school, Sally wanted to become a gym teacher, so she enrolled at East Stroudsburg State College and began taking the proper courses. She ran out of money in her final semester, and her parents wouldn't help her out, so she decided that she needed to join the Marines, which was something that her brother and uncle were both a part of. For the next 11 years, Sally served as a Marine, reaching the rank of sergeant. 
While she was serving, Sally met a fellow Marine named Anthony and developed a relationship with him. They eventually got married and had two kids named Shantina and John. But unfortunately, this also turned out to be an abusive relationship. Anthony physically abused Sally for three years before she left him and got custody of their children. After the divorce, Anthony had no relationship with the children, and Sally was transferred to Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, California, where she moved with her children. Mandy, did you say Oceanside, California? Yes, I did, Melissa. Wow, it's almost like maybe we could just Google the city of Oceanside, California. Are you up for it? I'm up for it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We figured we'd end the year with a little Google the city, whether you wanted it or not. A few of you did want it. A lot of you wanted it. Yes. Blame them. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of you requested this. (laughs) So, and and never again Um, will it be requested, I'm sure. So Mandy, Oceanside, California, if you'd like to learn a little about it, is a city located north of San Diego and south of LA. And there's a population of around 172,000 as of 20. 2021. Oceanside is the third largest city in San Diego County behind two cities. Do you know one of those cities? San Diego County. San Diego? San Diego would be number one, (laughs) and Chula Vista is number two. Way to go. And speaking of San Diego County, San Diego County has America's largest concentration of military personnel, with about 7.6% of the county's population being active duty personnel and military family members, and 13.5% who are veterans. So in San Diego County, you might say the Army's slogan is not, I'm an army of one, but I'm an army of about half a dozen on any given day. I'll take a sympathy laugh there. (laughs) Thank you. There are a few notable celebrities who were either born in Oceanside or grew up there, including Denise Richards, who can honestly sashay herself out of the water in a bathing suit better than truly anyone on this side or that side of the Mississippi. It's like the most iconic scene of her coming out of the water in one of the James Bond movies. I don't watch them, but I've seen the commercials. You know who else is from Oceanside, California? No, I really don't. <laughs> I was going to stay quiet until I had a guess. <laughs> I was like, I think she wants me to answer. <laughs> I don't expect you to know this, but now you will. Uh, Jason Mraz, singer of grocery store mm-hmm. jams like I'm Yours and The Remedy. And Mandy, Jason actually owns a farm in Oceanside where they sell avocados and passion fruit and not a lot else. And I don't personally have a lot of feelings about Mr. Mraz. Do, do you? Are you a Jason head? I I wouldn't consider myself a Jason Head, no. No, okay. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. I wouldn't consider myself a Jason Head, no. <laughs> so I didn't really have any feelings about him one way or the other before I took this little journey, but I did find out that at some point he found out that a fan had sold a bottle of beer that he had drank out of. Um, on eBay. And so (laughs) this must have been earlier 2000s. But when he found out about that, he decided to start selling his old shirts and his hats. And he began donating the proceeds to Make-A-Wish, which is so awesome. Right? So now it's wholesome. This is a wholesome story. So you weren't a Mraz head or a Jason head, but like, (laughs) maybe like a a Jason ear at this point, like (laughs) your turn and I can feel it. And so after that, he also added something to his uh, band's writer where at every show they had to be given a toy, like a kid's toy. And at the end of the year, they would donate all of those toys to uh, Toys for Tots. I love that. Jason Head. You're a Jason Head. I am. I 
that's something I never thought I would say. I am a Jason <laughs> So Mandy, he's basically an angel. And after that, I was like, well, I have to get my favorite Jason head, some Jason Mraz avocados. And so that's how I ended up on Mraz Farms Instagram. And Mandy, unfortunately, I found out that I could not buy you a box of Mraz's plumpest avocados. Aww. So sorry. <laughs> and that's because right now they aren't available online. But there's a very, very good chance that one of Jason's avocados is already inside you. I know it's inside <laughs> me. And that's because he sold this year's harvest to Chipotle where they are used in the guacamole. <laughs> 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 and thus ends maybe the last Google the city of all time. <laughs> Bravo, Melissa. Thank you. <laughs> that was quite an encore of Google the City. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> okay, so yes, back to the story. <laughs> so uh, at some time while Sally McNeil was in the Marines, she discovered the sport of bodybuilding. She really wanted to be stronger and better able to protect herself. As I said, she had kind of grown up with a history of violence and abuse. So she started training and lifting heavy weights with this goal of just becoming stronger. In the summer of 1987, she heard about another Marine who was also into bodybuilding, and that was a man named Ray McNeil. Sally's friend told her that Ray had just arrived from Japan, and he was also a sergeant in the Marines, and he was interested in meeting Sally. Sally agreed, and their first meeting was a whirlwind. Sally called it lust at first sight. Not even love at first sight. She's just admitting that, like, right off the bat, she just saw him and was instantly like, I got to have that man. That's pretty much how she was about him. She said that he was just a beautiful hunk of a man. He was very polite and kind, and it was really just his good looks that made her notice him. Right. And that was really the case with a lot of people who uh, first met Ray. He had these amber-green eyes, dimples, and what was called a million-dollar smile. But the more Sally got to know Ray, the more she started to believe that he actually might be a really great stepdad to her two children as well. Ray was from North Carolina originally. He was born in 1964, making him just a few years younger than Sally. Ray's mother was unable to care for him, and when he was two weeks old, his aunt took over raising him. He was extremely athletic, just like Sally— and he played football in high school where he was all-conference and all-metro. I had to Google that. All-metro, I guess, is when the coaches in your area actually vote for somebody to be, like, the best of the best. So it's not just from your school. It's from, like, the county, I guess. Okay. And if we're wrong, it's okay. It's it's all-metro. Believe in your heart what you think it is. <laughs> so... <laughs> After he got out of high school and joined the Marines, he played football for them as well. Ray began bodybuilding in 1983, so he was pretty advanced in the sport by the time he met Sally. And Ray was pretty good at it, too. At the height of his career, he was among the top 20 professionals in the nation in his weight class. Since Sally was starting her own bodybuilding journey, that was one of the things that she and Ray were able to connect on. Eventually, the couple got an apartment together off base and lived with Sally's kids there. Ray and Sally got married in 1987, and it was obvious to everyone that Sally was super in love with Ray. Some even used the term obsessed, but no matter which way you slice it, Sally was 100% devoted to Ray. Even Sally's kids seemed to like Ray at first. Shantina said there were a lot of good times early on, and she was even comfortable enough early on to call him dad. 
Sally and Ray continued to bodybuild together, and on February 14, 1987, Sally competed in her first bodybuilding contest, the Armed Forces Bodybuilding Championship, where she won fourth place. A few years later, in 1990, Sally and Ray won the Armed Forces Bodybuilding Championships. It was actually the first time that a husband and a wife won separate individual events, and it was a huge deal in the community. By this time, it was pretty much a given that Ray would turn pro. And it's not easy to become an IFBB professional. I don't know this, but I know Mandy does. I know it takes a lot of dedication for the sport and can take years of trying. And Mandy, you have a note that you know people who have competed 20 years before going pro? For sure. I am such a quitter. Me I too. Just, There's just no way I could ever make it that long. No, like in my body? I'm supposed no. to, my body's supposed to make it that long? Honestly, I would just assume that it wasn't meant for me. Like I, I admire the dedication that people have when, when they sure. spend that long pursuing a goal. But yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm that special. So I, I'm pretty quick to be like, no, this isn't going to be, <laughs> this isn't for me. <laughs> but it's amazing. So Ray had a long-term goal of not only going pro, but also making it to the Olympia stage and winning Mr. Olympia. So the way that it works in bodybuilding is that you compete in small local shows first. And when you win these local shows, you become qualified to compete at the national level. And that's where you are judged next to the best bodybuilders in the country from all over the country, from every different state. So at these national level shows is where people earn their pro status. And then once you are a pro, you can only compete in pro level competitions. So the highest honor in the sport is to compete in the Mr. Olympia contest. And that's where like the top athletes from all over the world share the same stage to find out who is the best in the world. So for Ray to have this dream of winning the Mr. Olympia title was really, really ambitious. You're talking like only one person per year wins this title from the entire world. So he has his sight set very, very high. And it shows, you know, how serious he was about the sport. In order to make it to this level in bodybuilding, you literally have to dedicate your entire life to it. And you have to be willing to do whatever it takes, even at the cost of your own health. So for those of you who know who Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger is, that would probably be everyone. He won. Yeah, I was the- like, that is a weird, <laughs> weird way to start. That <laughs> but maybe the, we might have a few listeners who don't know who he is. Oh my uh, gosh, the youths! I forgot the youths yes. might not. Well, some people might be like the politician. <laughs> Uh, but he was too. <laughs> he was, he was too. Both. <laughs> but they might think of him that way first. Uh, but True. he actually won the title of Mr. Olympia seven times. So by wow. early 1991, Ray was leaving the Marines and pursuing his dreams in bodybuilding full time. He worked as a bouncer at clubs in the evenings, which left his days open for meal prepping and eating right, and of course, getting his workouts in. Sally continued serving in the Marines because it provided an income, which obviously is necessary with two kids to raise, but also because bodybuilding is a very expensive hobby when you're doing it at this level. The biggest cost for people trying to achieve worldwide recognition is the money they have to spend, unfortunately, on steroids to get them there. And that's really incredibly expensive on its own. Uh, But each competition also adds up in cost when you're factoring in the registration fees, the services you pay for, like your tanning and your makeup. If you travel, travel expenses in your hotel room, people also get posing lessons. Of course, people are paying for coaches and nutritionists to get them to the level of a pro. So there's a lot of expenses. And as such, money was always really, really tight for Sally and Ray. Sally would take the kids on dumpster dives looking for cans, which they would then turn into the recycling plant in exchange just for the littlest bit of money. But the sacrifices that they made paid off for Ray in a big way. 
In May of 1991, he won the California State Bodybuilding Championship after all nine of the judges unanimously chose him as the first place winner. An MC later told the North County Times that Ray was so far ahead of all the other guys, and the other guys weren't even weak. He said that Ray just had these incredible genetics and a very clean-looking physique. At this time, he weighed 235 pounds at 5'10", and his biceps were 20 inches around, and his calves were 29 inches around. So that probably doesn't mean anything to most people listening, but he was definitely a massive man. So like, just for like perspective, I think my biceps are like 12 and a half inches around. So his were like almost twice, this, his arms were almost twice the size of mine, like literally Whoa. twice. Yeah. Mine are like definitely like 15, easily 15, 16, maybe. I don't know. It depends on if I ate some chicken that morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but Ray was very big. He was very strong and he could squat 700 pounds and just that's just insane. It makes me sound really silly for like saying that I can squat 155 pounds. I'm super proud of that. Um, yeah, you yeah. should be. That is wild, Mandy. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't, it's not like that wild, but don't say you're a clown for that because the rest of us are out here like sometimes I struggle to squat to pick things off of the ground right. and I just use <laughs> my no toes way. to like throw it up. Yeah. So squatting 155, take a bow. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so in August of this same year, Ray competed in North Americans, where he took first place and finally secured his IFBB pro status. From that point on, his name and face were plastered on magazines, and his stardom really took off. Ray also had dreams of becoming an actor, and he performed at local comedy club open mic nights. However, even as a professional bodybuilder, money just really is not part of the deal unless you win the big shows such as the Olympia. So finances were still tight for Ray and Sally even after he became a bodybuilding professional. Sally began doing extra things to bring in more money, and she focused on using the skills and strengths that she already had. And I mean that figuratively and literally. She performed in strength contests with cash prizes, and after one of these contests, a man approached her and asked her if she would be interested in wrestling for him. The guy actually owned a very uh, niche company that sold what he called Amazon woman videos. Melissa, how does that make you feel? <laughs> it feels like it's the same guy at my gym who is saying, hey, Amazon, that's he what it feels like. You in a video. <laughs> oh, he wears like these camo pants all the time, but they're not really camo. They're the zebra ones. It feels oh. <laughs> very much like the guy from... <laughs> from uh napoleon dynamite like he the has absolutely no business to comment on you or all the else. time amazon <laughs> rude no okay so <laughs> so in the context of uh these amazon woman videos that uh sally was being recruited for these were basically just videos where muscular women um, and female bodybuilders would be wrestling men in the videos these were like semi-erotic videos so not full erotic, just semi. Uh, and they were staged and choreographed and also 110% cheesy. So uh, Sally was great for it, though. She was very muscly and she enjoyed doing these films. Not only did she enjoy doing them, but they paid her pretty well. She started making uh, $50 an hour just to film them. And Ray was fine with all of this. He even appeared in one of the videos with Sally. Eventually, Sally was able to start her own video business, and as a side gig, she was wrestling men off camera, which is something that men were paying her big, big money for. 
Sally left the Marines in 1993, and later that year, she competed in a national bodybuilding show, but she only won fifth place. And Sally felt really disheartened by this. She also wanted to go pro, but all their focus and all their resources were on Ray at that time. On top of that, Sally was making way more money doing the wrestling than she could ever make as a female professional bodybuilder. So it really didn't make much sense to put her energy and honestly more money that they didn't have into that. Later in 1993, Ray qualified for the Mr. Olympia contest after years of training for his chance to shine. And Ray was beyond excited to be among the top bodybuilders in the world, and he could not wait to get up on that stage. But he ended up having the win taken out of his sails when he placed 15th in the contest. And this made him extremely angry. But Ray continued to push onward and went back to the drawing board, going into an off-season where he focused on working out harder to get bigger and bigger muscles, all with the ultimate goal of taking the Olympia stage again one day. Two years later, in 1995, he was ready to give it another shot. The competition was held in mid-February, and Ray had been taking five different steroids to help him attain the type of physique necessary to place well in the Olympia. At this point, it's important to talk a little about what steroids do to a person. And if you're on our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast, we talked about a similar situation uh, in this past month's Patreon bonus where steroids began to really affect the person in the story. Um, so this might be a little bit of a recap for those of you from Patreon, but we're not here to give you a biology lesson and we'll keep it short and sweet, but there's definitely some bad that's in there with the good when it comes to steroids. So the question, do they work to help you grow quality, developed muscle and reach competition level conditioning? Yes, but they come at a huge cost to the user. Side effects of anabolic steroids include high blood pressure, blood clots, heart attacks, nerve damage, hormonal disruptions that lead to a host of their own problems and more. Additionally, there are noticeable psychological effects as well, including irritability, mood swings, depression, and if someone's already suffering from these conditions, adding steroids to the mix is almost surely to make it worse. And we still have so much more to get into the story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. while since I've had a baby of my own and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. Here's an idea to spread a little more joy this holiday season. Aura Frames for Everyone. Named the number one best digital frames by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and more, 
Aura is nothing like the digital frames from a decade ago. Every Aura frame is thoughtfully designed to fit any decor style with a stunning HD display, unlimited storage, super easy setup, and no fees. Everyone loves pictures, but displaying them can be tricky. With Aura, you can preload a few photos of your kids or pets and give it to your parents or in-laws for a personal holiday gift without really having to do much at all. And it's so easy to use, even those same parents and in-laws can do it. Aura frames are honestly so great for anyone on your list. Not only are they aesthetically pleasing, but they were one of Oprah's favorite things three years running. I got one for my teenage daughter and she loves it. She's always having her friends send over new photos to this frame, so it's like another way to interact with friends. My in-laws have an older version of the interactive frames and it's fine, but one of the reasons I really love Aura is because unlike theirs, my daughter doesn't have fingerprints all over the screen because with Aura, you can actually use the interactive touch bar on the frame so you can change your photos and more on the frame and not the display, keeping it smudge free. Listeners can save on the perfect gift this holiday season and get up to $30 off Aura's best-selling frames. Just go to AuraFrames.com slash moms. That's A-U-R-A frames.com slash moms. These frames have been selling out every December, so get yours now before they're all gone. Terms and conditions apply. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? Get started today. It only takes about five minutes to open an account with Capital One, and there's no minimum to open and keep your account. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One NA member FDIC. And now back to the episode. Okay, so before the break, we were talking about Sally and Ray McNeil and the type of relationship that they uh, really had with each other. They spent a lot of time together bodybuilding, but the main focus was on Ray, who had this goal of turning pro, which he did. We were just kind of ending off talking about the fact that he was taking several steroids at the time to get him where he was and the side effects that those steroids can have on a person. So according to Sally, Ray had really always been abusive towards her from even from three days right after their wedding and onward. On that day, Ray actually punched her, leaving her with a busted lip. And he apologized and swore that he would never hit Sally again, and she believed him. But she says that the physical violence didn't stop. Like many abuse victims, Sally said that she always believed that she could eventually get him to love her enough to stop hurting her. And because she'd really grown up witnessing her own mom being abused, that was part of the reason that Sally kind of thought this was normal, and that was just something she had to accept in a relationship. In addition to the physical abuse, Sally said there was also infidelity on Ray's part. Over time, fights between the couple escalated to higher levels of violence, and broken bones even became a regular occurrence. On five separate occasions during their marriage, Ray broke a bone in Sally's body. He broke a toe, her nose, her hand, her tailbone, and one of her ribs, which actually resulted in a punctured lung. Sally's daughter, Shantina, was even witness to one of these instances. Ray was also allegedly sexually abusive towards Sally, and he would choke her frequently during his many attacks against her. And witness to all of this were Sally's young children. At the time, Shantina was about 11 or 12, and John was 9. 
Shantina described her stepdad as being a Jekyll and Hyde type. She said he would be fine one minute and then really scary the next. And she has confirmed that Ray was extremely abusive towards her mom, Sally, while they were married. And Ray's outbursts were more than just yelling and screaming. Sally said that when he flipped his switch, Ray looked like a bull and his nostrils would flare and he would just start saying these horribly cruel and degrading things to her. She kept all this to herself at the time and didn't reach out for help or tell anybody. And uh, it was hard for her, you know, to really watch as others around thought that they were in a great relationship and that Ray was just the nicest guy in the world. Sally said that Ray would come home in a bad mood sometimes and just unleash on her. But nobody really had a clue that that, you know, was what was going on behind closed doors. There were signs of trouble, though, if anybody had been paying close enough attention. In August of 1990, the same year that Sally and Ray both won that Armed Forces Bodybuilding Championship, Sally was issued a temporary restraining order against Ray. In her report, Sally stated that Ray beat her on July the 3rd. She said, quote, my husband punched me in the mouth, hit me on both sides of my head and threw me around on the floor, end quote. This case ended up being dismissed after neither one of the McNeils showed up for a court hearing. In 1991, police were called to the McNeil home on a report of a domestic violence, but nobody was arrested that day. The couple's apartment manager also said that Sally often called her to report damage that had been done by Ray in their apartment during these fights that they would have. And the apartment manager did say that she occasionally saw bruises on Sally as well. Additionally, one of Ray's close friends told Netflix that the majority of people who knew Ray thought that he was a kind and gentle giant, but he did have a short fuse and you did have to be cautious about how you approached him. Another person witnessed two incidents outside of the Camp Pendleton gym where Ray knocked Sally down and kicked her. And Ray wasn't just abusing Sally either. He was also terribly abusive towards her kids, Shantina and John. And he was particularly awful to them when Sally wasn't around. Sally really became acutely aware of the danger she was in when she learned that one of the women she had competed against in a bodybuilding contest had been killed. The woman was strangled to death by her boyfriend, and it was like a light bulb moment for Sally. She thought, quote, oh my gosh, that could have been me, end quote. It was at that moment she believed that Ray was going to kill her one day if she didn't get away. And so that's when Sally began making plans to move back to Pennsylvania with her kids, telling them to be prepared to up and leave at any time. Sally then started focusing her efforts on saving up the money to get back home. But then, at 10.40 p.m. on Valentine's Day, 1995, things took a turn. Sally dialed 911 and reported that she had just shot her husband because she said he had just beat her up. Sally was relatively calm and fully cooperative as she gave the operator her name and the address to her apartment. In the background of the call, Shantina can be heard crying out in horror as she realizes what has happened. Ray, who was still alive at the time, could also be heard moaning and screaming in the background. Officers arrived to find 30-year-old Ray on his hands and knees about five feet inside the apartment door, and Sally was standing at the kitchen sink. Ray had been shot in the face, and he was severely disfigured, but he was saying, quote, why, oh God, help me, end quote. Meanwhile, Sally was explaining to an officer that Ray was beating her when she used the shotgun to defend herself. Upon hearing this, Ray began shaking his head no, and he asked, quote, why did you do this, end quote. 
When the paramedics arrived, Ray pointed at his stomach to let them know he had been shot there as well. His liver was protruding through the skin when they looked down, and the blast he suffered to the face had caused severe damage to his lower jaw. Ray was taken to the hospital where attempts to treat his injuries were made, but he unfortunately passed away around two hours later. Sally was taken to the police station for questioning, where she explained the events of that night. She said that Ray had left the house at some point to go pick up chicken to cook for dinner. The store he was allegedly going to was called Price Club, and it closed at 8.30. But Ray didn't get back to the house until 10.30. He did have groceries uh, in a bag with him when he came, but it wasn't from Price Club. It was from a more expensive grocery store. Sally said that she was upset over how long it had taken Ray to return, you know, from this very simple errand, and she started to pick a fight with Ray. She demanded to know what took him so long and wanted to know why he went to this expensive store and got expensive chicken when they were on such a tight budget and they couldn't really afford that. Then she accused him of going to see his girlfriend. Sally also told Ray that he looked terrible and wasn't going to place well in the Olympia contest, which at that point was just days away. And this just sounds like one of those things that you say, you're just trying to like dig at someone and get under their skin because saying that and and like as somebody who does these competitions like she knew that that would be like hitting him right where it would like really hurt him you know like he's been preparing for this forever like you know wants to get on is about to get on stage in like four days and so you can tell that she was really just taking like the most hurtful thing she could think of at the time you know they they were in a very heated and passionate argument at this point right Sally said that Ray got mad at the things that she was saying, so he slapped her and pushed her to the ground, and he began choking her. She managed to free herself and ran to the bedroom for the 12-gauge shotgun that they kept in the closet. Sally loaded one shell into the gun and cocked it, and then she made her way back into the kitchen where Ray was cooking uh, the chicken that he had just brought home. Sally said that she yelled at Ray and told him to never hit her again. But he turned around and came after her, so she shot him in the right side of the chest, causing him to double over. But she said that he was still coming towards her. So she actually loaded the gun a second time and fired again, shooting Ray in the face. Sally then immediately walked outside after the second shot and handed the gun to a neighbor before dialing 911 and reporting what she had just done. Sally told the detectives about Ray's steroid use and how he had this Mr. Olympia competition coming up in a few days and that he had been using heavy steroids for weeks. When the police asked her if she herself took steroids, she told the officers that she had done them in the past, but it had been several months since she had taken anything. Other than that, Sally was completely cooperative and very forthcoming with information. At that time, during this interview uh, that she's having with the police, she wasn't yet aware that Ray had actually died. Remember, he was alive and talking when she last saw him being loaded into the ambulance at the house. But at the end of the first interview with the police, uh, they did inform her that Ray didn't make it. And when Sally gets this news, she does break down crying. She said that she never wanted it to be this way. She just wanted him to stop hitting her. Sally's kids were also interviewed, and Shantina said she and her brother went to bed shortly before Ray got home that night. Shantina heard the front door open and the crinkling sound of grocery bags, and then she said she heard her mom and Ray arguing. Shantina then heard what she described as being, quote, a smacking sound, followed by the distinct sound of someone being choked and gagged, and then she heard rustling around in her mom's closet, shortly followed by a loud bang. 
When Shantina heard the bang, she thought Ray had thrown her mom into the china cabinet. So she grabbed a baseball bat from her bedroom and went out to try and protect her mom. This whole thing is so incredibly sad. And when Shantina got out to the living room, Ray was on the floor bleeding profusely and Sally was on the phone with 911. The neighbor was surprised to see Shantina on the doorstep. She was crying and shaking, saying her mom had shot her dad. The neighbor and Shantina went back to the apartment together where Sally and Ray were still inside with Ray clinging to life. Sally handed the neighbor the gun and said, quote, I just wanted him to leave me alone, end quote. Sally was arrested for first-degree murder at the age of 34. Prosecutor Dan Goldstein was put in charge of prosecuting her, and at the time he was really considered the top gun in San Diego. In the recent Netflix documentary about this story called Killer Sally, Prosecutor Goldstein said that when he reviewed the tapes of Sally's police interviews, he saw very little remorse or evidence that she was a fearful, battered woman as she claimed. He specifically referenced the fact that when Sally was given a break from questioning, she laid on the floor with a blanket and took a nap. And Goldstein thought, quote, wow, that is something that a person who is not guilty of murder would never do, end quote. I'm about so sick of anything you do after something like this happens. People are like, nope, if you were guilty, you would do this. Yeah. If you were not guilty, you would do this. I yeah, just feel like everyone reason, reacts so different. For sure. And for some reason, that like really bothered me because um, I feel like like that reaction, like at this point, it's literally the middle of the night. Like the shooting happened at like 1040 is when she called. So right. by the time she's been interviewed and has had time to like, has heard the news now that, you know, he's been killed, the whole adrenaline rush of everything. I feel like it's literally the middle of the night. It does not, to me, sound like a sign of guilt that she fell asleep. I can see how her body would be physically exhausted. Yeah, Whether feels, or not it was intentional murder or not, I feel like the whole ordeal, like, it doesn't surprise me that somebody could fall asleep in that situation. Right. It feels less like a nap and more like passing out. Like exactly. Right. Crash. Like your body is just shutting down. Absolutely. Right. And Sally said, you know, she was in shock, like you were saying, and that's the reason she really wasn't acting in a normal way. This part was like the saddest part to me in the entire documentary. Watching, they they played a lot of the interrogation in different scenes with you know, Sally being in there and even when the kids were in there. And so Shantina and John are allowed to say goodbye to Sally before they're taken into protective custody. And watching this conversation with these kids and their mom and not knowing when they're going to see her and realizing they're going to be separated from her, but no one really knowing how long this is going to be, it was gut-wrenching. It was so hard to watch. And so they ended up being placed in the care of Sally's mom in Pennsylvania. And remember, that's what Sally basically said the whole time. They were trying to get to Pennsylvania. So she, in this interrogation room, is basically saying to the kids, you'll just be there a little before me. I'll be behind you, that sort of thing. And just, oh, it was was heartbreaking. So terrible. Yeah. So in the aftermath of the shooting, there was a lot of gossip and many questions about whether it was possible that the root cause of everything was the steroid use going on in the house. Police announced that they actually were going to be investigating that possibility, and they did find steroids inside the apartment. Toxicology tests later proved that Ray was taking at least five different steroids at the time of his death, and there were no other controlled substances in his system. Interestingly, a blood test did show that Sally had one steroid in her system, which meant that she had actually lied to the police when she told them that she hadn't taken anything for several months. 
But all in all, it was determined that steroids played only a small role, and both the prosecution and the defense thought there were other reasons that led to Ray's death that had nothing to do with steroids at all. Authorities had a hard time believing Sally's story. They felt that the shooting wasn't a self-defense, and instead it was an intentional and thought-out shooting. They just needed to gather the correct evidence to prove this. So they began by looking into the domestic violence history between the couple. It was very clear that Ray did have a history of abusing Sally, but investigators also found documentation showing that Sally had been abusive in the past herself. She had actually been arrested for pulling a gun on her first husband and shattering the windows in his car with a crowbar. In another instance, she dropped a 70-pound weight on Ray's car from a balcony while he was trying to leave. And then there was the time that she fought the police when they came to do a welfare check on her children, and she ended up being sprayed with mace this time. And in yet another instance, Sally was suspended by the NPC, which is the National Physique Committee, and that's the body that oversees all these bodybuilding competitions, because she physically attacked a spectator at one of the events because she thought the woman was having an affair with Ray. Oof. Yeah. So reminder, Sally was obsessed with Ray. We kind of touched on this a little bit in the beginning of the episode, but she was totally in love with him and totally devoted to him. So when she had a reason to believe that somebody was trying to move in on her turf, she really went on the attack. And that wasn't all. Investigators also learned of a time when Sally assaulted a police officer after the bouncer at a nightclub told her to stop dancing on a table. And she, quote, went berserk, and the police were called, and Sally continued to be combative with the officers. Sally's own children admitted that their mother could be aggressive towards Ray and towards others, and that most of the fights between their parents were about Ray's infidelity. And speaking of infidelity, as it turned out, Ray did have a girlfriend at the time of his death. According to Ray's friend DJ, Ray had met a woman named Marianne at the gym, and they started going to lunch together, but ended up in a relationship of their own. And DJ says that it was Marianne that really had Ray's heart, not Sally. Ray would tell DJ that he wanted to leave Sally to be with Marianne, and that he wanted to spend Valentine's Day with Marianne instead of Sally. Police obviously thought that this sounded like a good motive for Sally to murder Ray, but they'd have to prove it forensically. As part of the investigation, a reconstruction of the crime scene was created, and it was determined that Ray couldn't have been coming towards Sally when she shot him in the face. Blood spatter analysis concluded that Ray was shot when his head was close to and in line with the couch cushions, so his head was no more than 20 inches from the floor when that shot was fired. Furthermore, evidence at the scene suggested that Sally actually went back to the bedroom to get the second round before reloading the gun and shooting Ray the second time. This was determined because they found one expended shell in the master bedroom and the other was still in the shotgun. Sally told them she reloaded the gun in the living room, but that didn't add up with the fact that there was a spent shell in the bedroom. Prosecutors felt that the second shot to Ray's face proved that Sally wanted him dead and it was premeditated because she had time to think about what she was doing before she reloaded and fired a second time. Sally had alleged that Ray attacked her and choked her that night, and she had fingernail scratches a quarter inch long on her neck. Investigators were hell-bent on proving that the scratches did not come from Ray, so they actually had his body exhumed so that his fingernails could be examined. Wow. I've heard of them exhuming bodies for multiple reasons, but I have to say, this is one that... I was surprised. They were like, let's just exhume the body and look at his fingernails. And that's like a 
it's not I feel like exhuming a body is a very it's a big it's not something deal. You, right. It's not something you just do. So for them to do that, they really, really definitely wanted to prove they were really trying to prove something there. And so they actually did have it exhumed and his fingernails were examined and it turned out they were too short to have caused these scratches on Sally. And an expert determined that her injuries were not consistent with strangulation and they may have been self-inflicted. And lastly, this is something that definitely, Mandy, you and I agreed, did not come up in the Netflix documentary. It was learned that Sally checked up on a $100,000 life insurance policy just five days before Ray's death. She actually asked about upgrading the policy, of which she was the beneficiary. And two days before the shooting, she asked the person who originally sold them the policy if it was still good. And then the day after the shooting, Sally called a friend from jail four times asking about the insurance policy. She wanted her friend to go to her home, get the policy information, and make a payment on it before it expired. Wow. This is like so wild. And like you said, this definitely did not come up in the Netflix um, documentary or the show or whatever. Such a wild little piece of the story that kind of turns it a little bit for me. So yeah, I'm going to reserve my final thoughts for the end of the episode. But yeah, I uh, definitely... Definitely have thoughts on that. (laughs) Absolutely. I I do as well. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Mandy, do you know how much you're actually spending on subscriptions? Most Americans think they're spending around $80 a month. But most Americans are wrong because the total is actually closer to $200. And if you don't even know how much you're actually spending, how many of those subscriptions are you even using? And how many have you just forgotten about? We were introduced to Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, earlier this year. And now, thanks to them, canceling subscriptions has never been easier. If you're like me, you don't really know how many subscriptions you have until you're built for them. But with Truebill, you can see them all in one place. And that's when, like me, you realize pretty quickly how many subscriptions you have that you no longer have any use for. You might even find out that you've paid double, which stings doubly, when you realize you haven't even opened that app in months. But with Rocket Money, you can review all of your subscriptions. And if you want to cancel one, you literally press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. On top of canceling a newspaper subscription that I got to read an article about the Farmer Bros new girlfriend just last year, Rocket Bill also helped me negotiate my serious subscriptions and saved me almost half of what I was paying, which I just assumed was the cheapest price that they had. I was wrong. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm actually able to stay on top of my subscriptions by being able to see them all in one place. So I'm actually seeing what I'm paying for instead of just hoping for the best, which is absolutely what I was doing before. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com moms. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com moms. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've just celebrated Thanksgiving, and if you were in a room with a bunch of people whose DNA you share and thought, oh my gosh, I share DNA with these people, then therapy may be the right place for you. And with BetterHelp Therapy, you can get into all your familial issues and more from the comfort of your own home. BetterHelp is therapy done right. Whether you're dealing with life-changing issues or just everyday life issues, 
Being able to speak through things with a therapist is really invaluable. Not to brag, but I have family issues, so therapy has been a lifeline for me for years. And BetterHelp makes it so much easier by being able to speak to my therapist from my computer, through calls, or even messaging without ever having to leave my home. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com moms. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot moms. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about the investigation into the shooting of Ray McNeil. He, of course, was shot at the hands of his wife, Sally, and we were learning all about their history as a couple and kind of just the violent past that both of them really had. And just before the break, we mentioned this little tiny detail that uh, somehow was not mentioned in the Netflix documentary about this story, um, that Sally had actually been digging into, looking into life insurance policy on Ray just five days before his death. So... That was all uncovered uh, at this point. Now we're going to kind of talk about what we found out about in the trial. So in a weird coincidence, or maybe you could call it a twist of fate, the trial actually started on February 14th, 1996. And that was exactly one year to the day after the shooting. Prosecutors began by trying to persuade the jury to believe that Sally was a bully and that she was an aggressor. They really set up this image of her as being a strong, muscular woman that couldn't possibly be a battered wife. Prosecuting attorneys argued that jealousy and rage are what led Sally to shoot Ray that night. They said that Ray had came home around 1030 and started cooking the chicken when Sally confronted him about being late and accused him of cheating on her. So they got into this argument and Ray then tells her he's going to leave for another woman. Prosecutors allege that at that moment, Sally snapped and figured that killing Ray was the only way to stop him from leaving her. And while Ray was cooking dinner, Sally went to the bedroom and got the shotgun and put one shell in it. Then she went back to the kitchen and shot him. Ray didn't die from the first shot, so they said that Sally went back to the bedroom, reloaded the gun, and came back. And at that point, Ray was on the ground crawling towards the front door, and then as he was in front of the couch on his way to the door, Sally shot him again. They said that Sally then lied to everyone about what happened and made up the story about killing him in self-defense. Prosecutors said, quote, the defendant is anything but a battered wife. She is one of the most violent persons I have ever prosecuted, end quote. They had multiple witnesses testify about Sally's aggressive behavior and talk about how she attacked women that she suspected of being involved with Ray. And she also went after Ray with various objects, including a set of dumbbells at one point. Many people, neighbors, babysitters, friends, etc., they all testified about this behavior coming from Sally, not just Ray. The defense told the jury that Sally finally fought back against the powerful and giant man that had been abusing her for years, and that the case came down to whether or not Sally was within her right to use force to stop the violence against her. The defense said that that night was like many other nights before, where Ray attacked Sally, choking her. They alleged that she got the shotgun to scare Ray, but he continued to attack her and she fired at him. 
They alleged that Sally had a second round on her already, which she reloaded and fired when Ray still wasn't subdued. Sally's 12-year-old daughter, Shantina, testified about the things she heard that night, including what sounded to her like Ray was choking Sally right before the shooting. Defense attorneys said Ray had no intention of leaving Sally. And why would he? Sally was his quote-unquote meal ticket, and she supported his bodybuilding endeavors while doing everything for him all the time. Many witnesses were called by the defense to speak about Ray's abuse towards Sally and the kids. Sally's defense didn't focus on the steroid aspect. Instead, they felt that the basis of the shooting was that the couple's entire relationship was violent. They said that Ray was aggressive prior to using steroids, not that the steroids made him aggressive. Expert witness Dr. Kayser Boyd testified that Sally showed clear signs that she was suffering from battered women's syndrome, which showed that her perception of imminent danger at the time of the killing was reasonable and genuine. In Dr. Kayser Boyd's opinion, Sally qualified as a battered woman, without a doubt, and she explained to the jury the way battered women are hypersensitive to perceived threats of danger. Sally took the stand in her own defense and admitted that she did shoot and kill Ray. But she also testified that it was an act of self-defense during a time when she feared for her life and felt that she was in imminent danger. She spoke on the stand about the abuse she suffered throughout her marriage to Ray. When talking about that night, Sally said Ray got home at 1030 and they got into an argument. And then she said Ray slapped her and threw her on the ground and began choking her. She said that she tried to get away, but Ray blocked her from getting to the door and began choking her again. And that's when Sally said she ran to the bedroom to get the shotgun. She said when she got to the kitchen, she saw Ray coming towards her, and then the shotgun just went off. When she was cross-examined, Sally did have a hard time explaining exactly why she didn't just leave the apartment after the first shot. Once both sides were heard, the judge gave the jury their instructions. This next part is kind of confusing, but it is important to mention for later. So the jury had options when uh, they were going to deliberate. They could decide between first-degree murder, second-degree murder, voluntary manslaughter, or self-defense. The state was obviously hoping for first-degree murder, while the defense was hoping for self-defense or manslaughter at the most. If Sally was found guilty of first-degree murder, it would mean that she had showed premeditation. Second-degree would mean the killing happened in the heat of passion. Manslaughter, a.k.a. imperfect self-defense, is actually not a complete defense to homicide in the state of California, meaning you can be convicted of manslaughter and still, of course, serve prison time if that's what you're convicted of. But if the killer can show proof that they believe there was a real imminent danger— even if that belief is unreasonable, then it negates the malice that is required for a murder conviction and it reduces that crime to manslaughter. So this is the part, like I said, yeah, that's a little bit, it gets a little bit confusing. So self-defense, which is also known as the perfect self-defense, would mean that Sally didn't have to serve any time because the killing, according to the jury, was justified. So this verdict would require the jury to have a reasonable belief that Sally had to either defend herself or suffer great bodily harm or death. Although the court did allow Sally to present evidence that she suffered from battered women's syndrome, the judge instructed the jury not to consider that evidence in determining the reasonableness of Sally's belief in her need to resort to self-defense by fatally shooting Ray, which makes zero sense at all. Why are you allowed, like you were saying in your notes here, why are they even allowed to bring it up if that can't be 
a way to even use the manslaughter, aka imperfect self-defense argument. So right. then what's what was her defense there? There then there is none. She has nothing to stand on if if you're taking that from her in deliberation. That doesn't make any sense. Before the trial, the state had filed a motion to prevent the jury from considering the battered women's syndrome evidence when determining whether or not she had a reasonable belief in imminent danger. Sally argued that her defense expert would explain how the effects of battered women's syndrome or BWS can change the way a person perceives harm in the court granted motion the way a person perceives harm and the court granted the motion, allowing the jury to hear all about BWS and what it does to a woman's thought process. So for the court to then instruct the jury not to consider any of that was contradictory, although technically correct under California law at the time. Later on, after Sally's trial, the California Supreme Court declared that the evidence of BWS was relevant to the reasonableness as well as the existence of a defendant's actual belief in the need to act in self-defense. Lawyers, it's times how like do you these, do this? I was going to say, it's times <laughs> like these when I realize I could absolutely never have a career in like anything that has to do with reading the law. <laughs> absolutely not. It's like one of those things where you read a sentence like five times and you're still like, I don't know what I just read. <laughs> That's like what I feel like reading this whole section. Like what, how... I don't know. I don't know. So way to go, attorneys. Way to go. You deserve You deserve it all. Whatever yes. you got, you deserve. And so in light of this decision, the limiting instruction was erroneous under California law. So basically, the judge should not have given this instruction about ignoring the BWS, right? That's how I'm reading Correct. that? Okay. Right. So on March 19th, after multiple days of deliberating, the jury ended up finding Sally McNeil guilty of second-degree murder with the personal use of a firearm. And she faced 15 years to life in prison. On April 19th, Sally was sentenced to 15 years, plus a consecutive four-year term for the firearm enhancement. She was taken to Central California's Women Facility in Chowchilla, California, to serve her sentence. I wonder if there's any other things. I wonder if there's any other places to live in Chowchilla besides the prison. <laughs> I know. Chowchilla. I like, I, I like that name. <laughs> City. Are you just wanting to move there? Is that what you're saying? Based on I the mean, name, never, and it might have a prison. Florida. I would never leave Florida, but yes. Okay. But if you were going to, Chowchilla is where you're heading. Maybe. So, <laughs> Hopefully so not judge, to prison. <laughs> you'd be very close to Jason Mraz and his <laughs> avocado, so Maybe. The judge says, quote, the court finds that Sally McNeil was a battered woman at the time she shot and killed Mr. McNeil. But Sally McNeil was also a violent person. She murdered Raymond McNeil in a brutal manner. Ray McNeil did not deserve to die. Ray McNeil did not deserve to die in this way, end quote. After her conviction and sentence, Sally appealed and argued that by limiting the jury's consideration of the battered women's syndrome evidence presented at the trial, the court prevented the jury from considering evidence that was relevant and that supported her claim of perfect self-defense. She also argued that the inclusion of the reasonableness standard in the definition of imminent peril prevented the jury from considering any claim of imperfect self-defense and therefore prevented them from reaching a verdict of voluntary manslaughter. And all of this, of course, is a violation of her constitutional right to present a defense and her due process right to a fair trial. <laughs> Again, attorneys, way to go. 
<laughs> okay. So the Court of Appeals ended up affirming her conviction, and they ruled that although the jury instructions were erroneous, it was actually a harmless mistake. It was a harmless error. So they said, yes, it was an error, but no, they don't think that that made or break her um, her conviction. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. So Sally continued making appeals. Of course, she did not agree with that. This part is really crazy. Her conviction was eventually overturned by the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they agreed that her rights had been violated. They overturned her her conviction. But then the state of California appealed to the California Supreme Court, and they ended up reversing the Ninth Circuit Court's ruling and reinstating Sally's original conviction. So, like, I don't know if I've ever heard of this happening before ever. It seems really unfair and kind of like unjust for our judicial system, in my opinion. I didn't know that like the state could then like, I didn't know the state could be like, actually, we didn't want you to appeal. So we're going to appeal your appeal like on, you know, it just seems crazy that like they could get her, get it reinstated. I don't know on that grounds. I don't know. I just think that's crazy. I just never have heard of that before. I don't have a comment because it was hard for me to even follow what was happening there. <laughs> they no, but overturned that her conviction. No, I Basically, know. they were like, you're good to go. And then then they're like, just kidding. <laughs> actually, you have to Can go back. Can you imagine to, hearing like, that news that it's been overturned and then finding out actually JK, we've, yeah. we're still fighting it? I feel like this does happen in different states, but I feel like maybe it's it's called something different or done a little different. Yeah, it must like be. I mean, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it happens and I'm sure it is – all legal and on the up and up but it just seems crazy like i'm just like wow that would just be like soul crushing i feel like, like it can be legal but like, it doesn't feel like it's on the up and up it yeah. feels a little weird. <laughs> that's true yeah that's true <laughs> so as for where sally is now she was actually eligible for parole beginning in 2011 but she was denied because the board did not feel she was a battered woman oh my gosh wow she was eligible again throughout the years but she was always denied on May 29th, 2020, Sally was finally paroled after spending 24 years behind bars. She told Netflix that in order to get released, she had to tell the parole board that it was her intention to kill Ray that night, as though he had never abused or beat her. She had to fully accept responsibility for what she did, which is such a wild thing. Like You hear that in parole boards all the time, and they want to hear remorse. They want to hear you're sorry. They want you to say that you did it. And so many people will never get it because they just refuse. And I understand both sides um, on why you would and why you wouldn't. So after she was released, she went to live in the Veterans Transitional Center, which is a place that helps homeless vets integrate back into society. Sally met her now husband there. She got a job at a warehouse and reconnected with Shantina and John, both who later joined the service when they became of age. In November of 2022, Netflix released a three-part series called Killer Sally. The series covers Sally and Ray's life together, the shooting, and the aftermath. Sally maintains her innocence throughout it, and her story was the same as it was from the very beginning. Sally told Netflix that it's been instilled in her that she's the violent one. She said she was violent because she had to defend herself against Ray's attacks. She has suppressed and blocked out many things because of that, but she believes that she was a good wife to Ray. She loved him, and Sally said, quote, It's not like I woke up and decided I'm going to kill my husband, end quote. Sally said she didn't deserve a sentence of 19 years to life. She wants to appeal everything, but now that she's free, she doesn't really care. She's enjoying her time of being a free woman. Mandy, thoughts? You want to know what I think, Melissa? I thought I did, but when you say it like that, I'm not sure. <laughs> So I think the – let me just go out there and say it. I think the Netflix documentary was very 
uh, favorable to Sally's side. And I, a lot of people I know watched it and I saw a lot on social media talking about how they really had like a felt bad for Sally. They felt like she got like the short end of the stick or something. I got to say, I don't think I agree with that. I don't think I feel bad for her going to jail. Uh, I think that's where she belongs because I personally think that this couple had an extremely toxic relationship. I feel like they both, I definitely believe her that he was violent towards her. I believe that they had many fights on many occasions that left both of them with physical bruises and wounds. I think they both were just terrible to each other. I don't think it was a good relationship. I don't think it was a healthy relationship. But I'm also not quite sure if I believe that Ray was physically attacking her that night. I feel like Sally heard about this other horrible thing that happened to a woman in the bodybuilding community where she was killed um, at the hands of her boyfriend. I think that made Sally a little bit extra paranoid, and I feel like that might have um, kind of influenced her behaviors towards Ray. Where You know how you kind of work yourself up to something? Once you convince yourself that something's going to happen, you kind of like, you're much more paranoid and you're much more heightened about it. And you kind of like, I feel like that had put her on edge a little bit. And she had convinced herself that it was only a matter of time before Ray killed her. And whether that was or wasn't true, I feel like that uh, paranoia may have led her to act in ways that were really irresponsible. Yes, I think she deserved to do time for this. I also feel like it's okay to say that, like, they had a terrible relationship and they were both awful to each other and that, um, you know, I'm sure some things happened in their relationship that Sally didn't deserve. But I also don't think Ray deserved to be shot twice, you know, with a shotgun in his own home. So that's my two cents on the whole thing. I think that it was – I think that her serving time was fair for sure. I think serving time was fair for sure. I agree. I think hearing the the life insurance policies – definitely changed things for me. But you know what I kind of thought, like I was thinking about it last night. And the thing to me that makes the most sense is that Sally was planning on leaving, right? The kids knew at any time that they could leave. And I sort of think it was less like premeditated and more like if things get bad, I know what I can do. I have this life insurance policy. The kids and I are going to be leaving. You know, if things got bad, I I have this. This is like my plan B. So maybe it was never, um, uh, I plan on doing this like I'm 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 waiting for him to get home I'm just standing there with a gun sort of thing and more like we're not doing this again and then and then she did it so I definitely think time served I think she deserved to be in prison I hate that she was taken away from her kids I hate that I hate that her children yeah and the you know what the really sad part to me on the documentary probably more than most that I've seen that they showed this side was that um, when they talked to Shantina and John, and they talked about their lives and Shantina became a victim of abuse and John kind of alluded to a situation that he was in himself and it's kind of like watching the cycle repeat which was super sad and like statistics that you gave at the beginning um but i don't know that was really sad to hear they've gone through all this and then and and this continued so i really hope the best for all of them i don't think i don't at all think this was a writing up a plan to kill somebody no i don't think it was like that i definitely don't think it was a premeditated planned out act like i said i do think that they had very impassioned fights 
on a regular basis. And um, unfortunately, when you do have a gun or something in the house, I mean, this can happen. This does happen. You hear things like this happening. Um, And there oftentimes is a history of violent behavior and fights going on. And like others will confirm that this couple has a volatile relationship. So yeah, so that's my two cents. I think that justice was served in this case. Yeah, for sure. So Mandy, we are going to move on to last thing before we go. And if you're new to the show, last thing before we go is a time that we kind of do a little something different than the episode, a little palate cleanser. And what we're going to do is reflect back on to last year's (laughs) end of year um, uh, New Year's resolutions and then give our new ones. Mandy, last year, if I remember correctly, you were taking up uh, roller skating. I was. How'd that go? Well, it didn't go well. I think I roller skated <laughs> until about February 5th. <laughs> yeah. And I stopped. Um, but I promised this, I promised these lovely listeners of ours, I would do a choreographed dance on roller skates. Why did I do that? Why did I say I would do a dance on I roller forgot skates? you said you would do that. So why are you doing this to yourself? Well, because I love everyone and I am going to give them what they I'm going to give them what they want. So I am going to get my skates on and I'm going to take a little clip of me on the skates dancing, quote unquote. I don't know if it's going to be any good, but this is what I'm going to do. I promise the people. Honestly, it's (laughs) going to be good. It doesn't matter if it's like talented or goes well or makes sense, but it's going to to be good. You have to pick a soundtrack. You have to pick a song for me and I have to figure out what to do. But I'm going to make that happen and we're going to put it on social media so that everyone can laugh along. Perfect. Everyone can laugh at me. Okay. (laughs) I want to think of songs. Actually, give us song ideas and we're going to pick something. That's a good idea. I like it. So Mandy, in the new year, what are your plans for 2023? I'm not making any because as you can see, I think I'm <laughs> at it. And do you know what? I don't like resolutions. I don't like – We've done this every other year where we're like, absolutely, I'm not going to do it. And then I'm not going to do it. We got real positive last year and cocky, I think both of us could say. Yeah. And this year, you're just not doing it. I'm just not doing it. I'm just not making a resolution. I haven't even thought about it. I don't have anything I really want to do bad enough. You're saying you're perfect the way you are. I'm saying that I'm perfect the way I am. Yes. <laughs> I like you the way you are. Never change. Okay. <laughs> Melissa, how is cleaning my toilets every day going? <laughs> Honestly, what a juxtaposition those two are. Well, I'd love to tell you I was successful and I also probably quit in February. Um <laughs> I mean, I feel like they're in good shape. They're not in bad shape. But in May, one of our bathrooms, like uh, my husband redid our vanity in there. And by redid it, it's like a single bathroom. We live like in an older house. So it was just like back when the um, primary bathrooms were like walk in, pee, stand in the shower. They're all like right next to each other. This is a tiny vanity. Mandy, he just finished it two weeks ago. It was out (laughs) of commission. One of our bathroom sinks was gone from May, no lie, until literally a week ago, where people don't even go in there to use it because we aren't used to it. Like, it's just not even on the table for people to use it. So I got a little thrown off, which you would think would mean if I only had to deal with one, I would do better, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So I am not doing that as my thing for this year. You know what my resolution is going to be? I have two. And they're very, the first one's very selfish. Well, not selfish, but it's something I, I know I need. Um, and you're better about this than I am. I need to get better sleep. 
I have a sleep number bed, love it. When I go to sleep on it, I feel great. The point, the problem is I don't sleep long enough. So I go to bed late and then I'm up earlier and I just don't feel as rested as I could be. I know I could be better rested and then my brain would work better. Can I just tell you that I get plenty of sleep and my brain still doesn't work? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How many hours do you get? I get about six and a half to seven hours of sleep a night. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not like a ton. It's not like I'm sleeping like 10 hours or anything. Yeah, I was thinking it was way more. No, I normally go to bed around – well, okay. So I put my phone on Do Not Disturb at like nine. At nine, it goes on by itself. It goes into sleep mode, so I don't get notified. If I pick up my phone or I happen to be like on it or looking at it, then I will still like get messages and stuff. But like sometimes I just like set it down and just want to watch TV or something. Yeah. Um, So I just put it on sleep mode um, at nine, but I'm usually not sleeping until about 11 or 11.30. And then I just – you're going to hate this. I naturally wake up at 5.30. Like I don't even have an alarm or anything. I just wake up at 5.30. And then I come out and have my coffee and stuff. But yeah, I'm only – I'm not sleeping. It's not like – I'm not sleeping that much. I'm not like a baby. I'm not like a newborn. I I feel like I sleep like a newborn, but the negative one where like you're up every couple hours. My son, Mandy, I've gone through probably four months of sleeping in my own bed and it's wonderful. Like he doesn't want me in there anymore. Like that used to be a whole thing. And the past two nights, that child keeps calling me into his room because he's scared. I don't know of what, oh. <laughs> but I know, but like, he's my baby too. So it's kind of like, okay, if you want I me know, to, yeah. but I know I'm going to get stuck in it again. And then I know Rick Astley is going to come back into the picture <laughs> and I can't cycle through this again. So two nights of me sleeping in there and I'm like, my new year's resolution is better sleep because there's something about sleeping on a king size bed with somebody who sleeps in a corner of the bed, basically on top of me and does not move the, like move over. And I literally have to roll his sweaty body into oh my the middle gosh. to get, yeah, Let it's me crazy. Tell you, I wonder if it's something about this age because my, you know, my youngest is about the same age as yours, right. as your son. And he recently has been like scared to sleep in his room in the dark. So like, I'm not even joking. The kid basically sleeps with all the lights on in his room now. Like, Aww. I don't know why, like he doesn't sleep with the big light on, but like we have this desk lamp for him and it's pretty bright, but it's just like a desk lamp that's like under his bed they have like a he has like a bunk bed where like there's a desk underneath but he'll leave that desk light on but it literally just lights up the entire room i'm like how can you sleep with this Mm -mm. like it's basically so like it to me is like bright enough to like just be the light in the room you know like as as if the whole light was on um but he said he's scared he doesn't want to sleep in the dark i'm like oh like that's tough yeah i don't know like that's like a new thing right like he never has had that before so yeah i was like what in the world although he did just move to his own room so that could also be why yeah we finally separated um their bedrooms which was a big deal i think uh it was a bigger deal for my younger one. My yeah. my older one just wanted to have his own room. He's 13, so he's happy, but it's not a big deal. I can deal see that would him. be hard for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Godspeed to both your son and to yes. me. <laughs> my son's fine now. Um, so my only thing I want to do is something I say I want to do every year. Um, I want to try and volunteer at uh, – it's kind of like a thing you and I have done before with Night to Shine. I want to try and work in a respite room because I have my son and, you know, he's wonderful and great, but I have help. Like my in-laws are great, but some people don't. And so I want to try to do a little like uh, respite help where- Oh, you would be perfect for that. I think that would be like something that would make me 
I hate to say make me feel really good, but it's something that I could do that I think would make an impact because I know how important it is to get I don't think it's bad to, to say breaks. it would make you feel good. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I think it's good to feel good from doing things like yeah. that. So, uh, yeah. No, I love that. I think that would be, but I've got to do it. So I wanted to say it. So then that way I'll do it. Even though those bathrooms, they be gross. Um, <laughs> I, I want to do this. Volunteering is something that I would like to also get more involved in. I feel like though, sometimes it's so, I don't know, like that's a, like you are choosing something that I feel like fits for uh, you. It makes sense for you to do that. And I feel like right. sometimes I just have a hard time choosing something to do. Like what would You should I... do something with the elderly. I should. Those are your people. That's so easy too. Okay, you're so right. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you for the idea. Guess what, guys? Melissa. She has. Yeah, we both have our. I have a New Year's resolution one. now. There you go. I wasn't going to make one, but now I have one. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, Mandy. Before we go, we're going to play a promo for um, Santa, maybe a criminal. Our friend Jason produces it, does it. Is I can't say what is voices it? he does. He is <laughs> oh. it. Yeah, he's so awesome and. It's kind of like a parody of a true crime show, but it's about Santa, so it's lighter, but it's so I'm funny. I'm excited about that. It I is. am so excited to check that out. And the audio editing is great. Like, it's all the music, it's just perfect. So, you definitely want to listen to it. Great time to listen to it now, right? Perfect right. time to be listening perfect. to it. And also, while we're, we don't have like brand, brand new episodes this next week, um, Criminality, my other podcast has new episodes. I just did one on the Goslins. That was a good one. Um, you can check it out. It's called Criminality. Um, and that's out every other Friday. I need to be better about promoting that over here. And that's it, Mandy, right? We'll be back. That is it. We will be back. Same time, same place. New year, new name, <laughs> new name, same us. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that last one. Have a great New Year's and happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. We will see you in 2023. Bye. Bye. We're here in the matter of the United States of America versus. Call from a person presumed nice until proven naughty. Y'all. Santa Claus is locked up, and I'm going to get him out. My name's Richie Buck. I'm an amateur podcaster and investigator. I'm an investipodster. I came up with that. If you like true crime, feelings of the holidays, and I ain't just talking about Christmas, and satire, well, Santa may be a criminal, just might be for you. Some of your favorite true crime podcasters have joined in to spin this yarn. I'm Chet. If the mitten ain't a fitting. Can you tell who's who? Stop acting like And is Santa a criminal? Let's find out together. Hunt down Santa. Santa may be a criminal. Listen and subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Got run over by a reindeer. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.